Hello, and welcome to Social Design Insights, the weekly podcast that brings you the leading voices of the social design movement from the fields of architecture, engineering, planning, art, and whoever else we can find that's out there trying to make the world a better place. I'm your co-host, Eric Kessel, and I'm back with Emiliano for a second straight week in a row. We're actually here back for the second episode on Design for the Common Good, or also called the Network of Networks. So after our last week's interview with uh, Sergio Paleroni and Jane Anderson, we will be interviewing this week Brian Bell and Ursula Hartig. Brian Bell is the co-founder of the Seed Network, which we mentioned briefly last week. But Seed is about 17 years old and stands for a social, economic, environmental design network and promotes sustainable and innovative public interest design through conferences and education and seminars, um, as well as handing out awards for such. Uh, Ursula Hartig is one of the co-founders of the Sign Build Exchange, um, which is a network and online platform dedicated to all stakeholders involved in academic design build projects. And if you haven't listened to last week's interview, I really advise you to listen. It's a great interview. Uh, I mean, both Jane and Sergio are really eloquent and, and engaging in how the discipline can be changed by revolutionizing the way it's taught. And also this idea that uh, research can be made through education and students can directly learn with a you know direct engagement with communities so i think that you know these are somehow the pillars of this new organization and somehow the pillars that all the three different networks stand for right yeah exactly and it, it came out as you'll hear in this interview one of the things i really liked about it is the way that ursula and brian kind of highlight that connective tissue between you know the academic exercise of design build education and architecture um, and the professional practice of it. And the whole reason that we started this segment on education is an examination of, okay, what is it that we're learning consciously and unconsciously in school that eventually translates to a system of values in the profession? And if we want and need a different profession in the 21st century, uh, what do we have to change in the academy? And I think Brian and Ursula's perspectives together highlight that issue very much. And I really like this approach that is uh, opening up the discipline. So it's, of course, it's always about design, always about architecture. But once you start working with the community, it becomes way larger than that. It's not only about learning how to put, you know, a brick on the next one, but it's really uh, how to understand first how, you know, your own presence is changing the environment that you're looking at, but also how to understand the real exigencies of the community, establishing a dialogue with them that is not only about listening what they think is important, but really going beyond that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I love that part of this interview. And this is a real gateway interview. We'll link to a lot of what's discussed on our website. And foremost, um, you're going to find a lot of online resources put together by the Network for Common Good that are essentially linking to the sort of practices and experiments that, that Emiliano was just discussing. So I, I'd really advise you all to go uh, to www.designforcommongood.net, where all the projects are actually located. And also, you can find direct links to the three networks, Social Economic Environmental Design Network, Live Projects Network, and Design Build Exchange. But maybe we should just listen to the interview, right? Yep, let's do it. Thank you, Ursula, and thank you, Brian, uh, to taking the time to speak with us. We have been already speaking in the first interview uh, about uh, your network uh, with Sergio and Jane, and we mostly talked about the origins, so how you guys came together. 
So before we go more in looking at how does this network evolve in the future, we wanted to hear a bit more about your specific two networks because each one of you is somehow you know the head of a, a larger collaborative. So it would be quite interesting maybe to start uh, uh, with you, Ursula, and to hear what, what were the fundamental aspects that brought Design Build together? Who are the people that are forming it? Thank you, Emiliano, for this question. Yeah, so we are all design-built practitioners in education, so we are teaching at architecture faculty. And we started uh, personally with a design-built around about 2000, um, making projects in Mexico from the University of Berlin. And we got to know other universities who as well were doing design-built projects in other, in other countries mostly. Always we have somehow the same struggles and the same challenges and the same problems. We thought it would be a good idea to meet and to see how we could talk to each other and get like a, a platform of exchange. That happens in 2012. And we invited actors, not only just the professionals from universities or the, the teachers from universities, but as well actors who act in the design build practice. There we found so much inspiration and so many people who like to go on with this. And we took it a, a sort of as a task for us to start to develop a platform. It was a grant from the European Union that gave us the chance to develop the Design Build Exchange Network, as it is now as well part of the network designed for the common good. Besides, uh, you know, coming together because, you know, of course, as a network, you're strengthening uh, your own positions and uh, also exchanging fundamental philosophy. I know that you guys are all doing studios that are hands-on for students. Considering that nowadays a lot of the education in architecture is quite abstracted from touching communities' uh, interests and, and uh, conditions, what is it specifically that you guys are trying to achieve through these networks and your studios? Specifically, it is to raise awareness in the students within their education to be aware of the tasks and the responsibilities they have for maybe building our future. So in relation to communities and in relation to, to the nature as well. And so we try to get them involved in being in the context where the things they design have to be constructed and being aware of how construction works. So this is one part. So it's basically a social sustainability aspect, which... Uh, relates us to the seed network, of course. The other thing is that, of course, if you had built a house with your own hands, then design gets a completely different role, or your attitude to see design and to develop design is quite distinct from what you have done before. So this is the basic aspect, I think. And Brian, did the seed network come together under similar circumstances, or what are the distinctions? Well, yeah, I think the Seed Network came together with a group of people who realized we had some shared uh, goals and interests. And actually, the first meeting was just 20 of us got together, asked the question, how can designers do a better job of serving communities? Through that discussion, we came up with an acronym that was the first concept that we were all pursuing uh, diverse issues with communities, really approaching communities with a blank slate, letting them tell us what their challenges were. So the triple bottom line of social, economic, and environmental became the acronym for SEED. So it was really a small action at first, but then we said, well, what are we trying to do? When we, when we had achieved 200 members in about a year, we said, well, what, what are the goals and mission? What are the principles that we're aspiring to? And that went through a sort of democratic decision-making process. And we 
evolved a mission and principles. And now I think we best describe ourselves as a principle-based collective action. You can join the SEED network, really, which is just a way of saying that you desire to further the principles in your work. But it's really around these principles that we are gathered together. So we have almost 3,000 members now. That's 3,000 members who have uh, taken the SEED pledge to further the mission and principles. But we also have 13,000 who are um, in our listserv interested in projects and programs that we we share, but I think really what binds us together is this mission and principles that we found as an aspiration for uh, what we're doing. The mission being every person should be able to live in a socially, economically, and environmentally healthy community. So that is, that is the mission of the Seed Network. And Brian, I think that already with your name, you're, already, you're always uh, reinforcing this idea of social, economic, and environmental design, which is somehow an opposition to another kind of design that is probably more profit-driven. Do you see this opposition in how you guys are defining an alternative, or do you see seed somehow as you know being seamless within the, lo- the larger practice, or maybe even including the larger practice? Two answers to that. I think one of the first reasons we got together was we were somewhat frustrated by the phenomenal success of uh, USGBC and LEAD and that they had really put together a phenomenal advocacy effort to make the public aware that the environment is a design issue. They deserve amazing credit for that recognition in the general public. On the other hand, those of us who work mainly in social and economic issues uh, were somewhat frustrated by the limited conversation that they were bringing to a community, which is essentially, uh, we're here to address your environmental issues, but if you have other challenges, we're not really interested in talking about those. So there's no question that we were initially interested in spreading the dialogue and really changing the conversation with communities so that you go in with a, uh, not a a pre-agenda as much as possible. You put your biases and and own agenda aside and just say, really do your listening and research. And some communities may have, you know, a single social issue. Some may have an environmental issue and an economic issue. So the, the three fundamental, well, I'd say four fundamental questions of the seed process is to say, what are your challenges? What are the either disasters you're responding to or just daily challenges that you find in the community here that you'd like to address? The second question we ask is, what is the vision of success? And so that's, you know, starting with the challenge, but putting a future goal to the picture. Then the third question we ask, is there a role for design here? Because that's a critical question. And of course, our agenda for the most part is design. And so we say, is there a role for us here? And and if not, uh, we need to be honest and respectful of the community and say, uh, your resources are best put in other directions, but not in design. But if design does have a role, and personally, I believe I find that every issue, there's some role design can play. Um, not that we've proven that yet, but I think that's what I hope we, we will be able to show to the public one day. But we say, what is the role design can play here towards that vision of success? And then the last question is, how can we measure success? So those are the fundamental seed questions that we, we can approach a uh, community with, and we lay those out in the uh, seed process. Seed process is basically taken from best practices, and we, 
We looked at projects that we found successful and said, what are they doing right? How can others learn from them? We put those into a nine-step process that we eventually made into an online tool called the evaluator. And so um, applications are made through our online tool, just as they're made through the uh, lead process. And so, yes, I think we have tried to uh, present an alternative to lead and open up the conversation to other issues as well. We have additional ethical protocols that you need when you have a public service, uh, such as transparency, accountability. And so these are things that we're looking at to add to the traditional design professions, not just uh, as an alternative, but really to suggest to all practitioners that this is a better approach. You're listening to Social Design Insights. We hope you've been enjoying these thoughts from Brian and Ursula, but we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking more about the future of the Design for Common Good network and what things we can look forward to. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Social Design Insights after the break. Welcome back to Social Design Insights. We've been speaking with Brian Bell and Ursula Hardig about the Design for Common Good network and its origins. Next, we're going to move a little bit into tactics and resources that this network has made available. Let's jump in. I think that SEED is a network that has been reinforcing through the years, but also there is a specificity that is quite American in, in how this is organized. Do you see differences in how Design Build is addressing some of these issues, considering that you are mostly a European-based network? Design Build is specifically related to pedagogy, so to the education of the students, and I'm very glad to have now the connection in this big network with this professional side. So I think we're educating students to be professional, so I think we need the side of the professionals to be included in the development of our common goals or our, our motivation. So this is one part. The specific challenges we are facing in Europe is uh, that most of the projects of design build are not realized in Europe, but are realized in other countries as Africa, as Latin America. I think this is quite special and different from all the design build projects in the United States as they are quite related to their own community. For several reasons, uh, it developed uh, in this direction. I'm not so sure why. There are tendencies to go back or to stay and to see what we can achieve in our hometowns or where our universities are sitting. But the challenge of going abroad and being uh, related with other cultures and as well with other professionals in these countries brings a different point to the education as well in our country. So the people are into intercultural education and are into growing their own networks within these design-built projects and, and then starting as well a profession out of that. So maybe this is a difference to the U.S. Uh, design-built groups. One thing that we're very careful about, we're not trying to impose or export any values or biases. So we're very careful about assessing and uh, vetting the seed principles and missions. When we go to a community and we talk about SEED, we ask the question, do you feel that this is a U.S. bias set of principles or do you feel that this is something that is valuable for humanity? And just for example, we held a conference with Ursula in uh, Mexico City and we had 
the wonderful community of Noxie come and they presented the jam manufactory of Noxie. It was an amazing presentation by the women who have worked with Ursula to uh, create this project. But that was another opportunity to say to a uh, different culture, to say in Mexico City, do you find these principles and mission valuable as well? Or do you feel that they're somehow U.S. biased? We've always uh, had a positive response that they are valuable for humanity. But I just want to be clear that we're very careful. Although we do, ha we do have a set of principles, we also want to be careful that we're not sort of culturally empiricist and exporting a U.S. bias. You guys are trying to bring, to polarize as a number of different practices and teachers from all over the world that somehow share an approach. And of course, you all are people that are working, you know, even if it's a, becoming a global movement, you're working really with a very local focus. So in the other interview, you know, with Sergio and Jane, we mentioned Siam because it was this moment in which architects were coming together with a, a general preoccupation of how to house, you know, millions of people that were moving to cities. Now we're almost uh, one century later, and we're facing somehow uh, another urgent crisis in architecture in, will, in which we see that cities are becoming even larger, but also inequality is growing exponentially. So in all this diversity, how do you create for the future uh, an institution out of design for the common good that will reinforce this different approach so that basically design has becomes a bit more present in discussing and understanding how things can actually improve in very, very local conditions, not, of course, with a, a general and colonizing uh, global view. It's about education. So I'm not talking about the different projects we're doing. So I think a uh, jam manufacturing in Mexico is, is great and it, it helps a, a certain uh, um, uh, a number of people maybe having a better livelihood. But our point is that we educate within this project, as an example, um, how to be concerned about the context we are building and we are designing and how to have the eyes openness. As Brian said as well, first ask and then act if there is something to act. My hope is more that the people doing this project get more awareness about how they are doing things, how they design and how they work and how they are related with the, with the context. I think we're not changing the world with these with this small projects, but we might change the world in the education. So in the education that then grows into practice as, as the SEED network shows, and there are people acting in practice um, under the SEED principles. And this is, so this is my hope maybe. Well, we might change the world one small project at a time. And I think there's enough evidence now collected, and I think that's, that's really what's been the game changer over the last 15 years, is the documentation of successes and the transparency and accountability for those successes. Because if you would agree that there have been successes documented, then we should be able to understand what a successful process develop those and learn from those. So it's really a question of how to do it well. You know, when I graduated from graduate school, the only issue that architecture was associated with was affordable housing. And I was basically told, if you wanna to serve communities, that's your option. So when I talk about expanding the number of issues, I'm saying that we are no longer limited to just providing affordable housing. In fact, I, don't, I think even with affordable housing, 
it's a loss of resources to just address a single issue like that. I think it should be affordable housing that whatever else the community needs maybe addresses uh, education needs, can address health needs. We have a seed award winner called the Bancroft School in Kansas City that addresses eight challenges, including affordable housing, but affordable housing wasn't the highest priority for that community. So this is where we are now. The projects are expanding. They are taking on more activities. And these are the projects we need to learn from because there are people doing it well. They might be small projects, but again, when I graduated, I also didn't have any models of success for what I would consider excellence in design because a lot of the community design movement at that time was not what I would consider quality design. Uh, the Rural Studio is the first time I saw excellence in design that also address critical social issues. Basically, the cap is off the bottle and the genie is out that you can do excellent design and you can be incredibly responsive and sensitive to local communities. So how do we replicate that? That's the challenge. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, how do we replicate that? I mean, my understanding is that design for a common good as a platform is an opportunity to share those lessons and those contacts and those messages. Can you put me in the place, I'm a student or I am a young professor who's interested in doing you know, a design build project or a public interest design project. Is it the sort of thing where I can tap into that network via this platform and be in contact with those good examples that you mentioned? One of the goals of this map and of this documentation and transparency of information is to provide a front door for people who are really just maybe realize that they have this interest but don't realize yet that others are doing it. So how can we how can we provide this easy access for people to realize what's going on? And I think that's probably one of the main values. And just as you say, if you were a student, where would you know what's going on in one screenshot? It provides that information, but it's also a wonderful way of seeing how we're growing. And so next year we'll be adding another network. And every year we're adding more projects for each of the first three networks. And so this is sort of a visual documentation about the growth of success, but it's also easy access to information. I, I could add to that that I'm uh, quite happy about this world map showing the side of the professional work um, and the side of the educational work together. And I think they can go in depth if you enter then the different networks and see which university is doing which projects, etc. And often the students growing out of a design build project say, I, I want to do it different. I want to do different architecture, but where can I do it? And I think this world map shows quite powerful how you could do it and, and where you could do it and who is doing it and get connecting with this. It's about as well connecting people, so not just about showcasing projects, but about connecting people and taking initiatives. The place where I'm at now here in Ecuador, for example, I think it's a part of this connection via this network because it's a different universities are involved here. It's the Portland State University. It's the uh, university, uh, International University of Catalonia. It's the University of Applied Sciences in München. But as well, professionals like professionals in Chile are engaging here. And lots of investigations have been made by the university here of the Pontificia Universidad Católica del Ecuador. And I think this is about bringing together people with knowledge, not just showcasing, and through bringing them together to develop initiatives and to, do, to develop projects. And even more networks joining in with different, as well, different motivations, the better. 
I think it's not about sharing always the same goals, but like putting together the differences and taking advantage about the differences. Well, I'm really glad that uh, both of you answered in the way that you did. I, I think one of the reasons we're excited to have this interview and excited about this project is because I think for us, we get excited about, you know, the idea of a new complete modality of, of education. For so many of us, you know, our design education is localized physically. It's it's not even a campus. It's a building, right? It's studio where we go and we're sequestered for, you know, some number of years in, in some sort of tribal log house. And looking at the map, looking at design for the common good, I wonder, is this the education of the future, this knowledge exchange that's happening globally and, and instantly? I do hope. I do hope. And I think it's not just doing small-scale projects in uh, abroad, but it's about the changing attitude, changing attitude in, in the professionals that comes out of the school in the next years. I think it's as well not about education of architects, but it's as well about the role of university and of academy. And I think the role university and academy is playing is very, very poor in the moment in our community. I think for one hand, academy should be able to go out and see the challenges or adapt the challenges of our communities on one side. On the other hand, I think that the students are so powerful in what they can do that we should get them into developing projects, into making differences. We should take the chance of their knowledge as well and of their power. And giving academy the, the role which they, I think, have to take in the future. I'm so glad that you guys are working on this public interest design education guidebook that will be probably like a first uh, result, uh, a printed result on, on all this experience that uh, you're doing. And I'm really looking forward to see this uh, first publication that will be somehow, I hope, uh, you know, also the blessing for this new organization uh, that is hopefully going to become always uh, larger and, and more successful. Yes, when can our um, audience get their hands on that book? The Public and Design Education Guidebook will be published by Rutledge in uh, about three months. One of the things that's most exciting to me about it is an index of learning objectives from peer-reviewed, selected courses that uh, I think it will be very empowering for students to have a look at this menu of Practitioners like Sergio Pelleroni and Jane Anderson and Ursula Artig, who have developed their own courses with their own learning objectives, but we've never had the opportunity of seeing the whole, or not the whole, but a sort of snapshot uh, selection. And I think it will be empowering to students because at the moment, students have a sort of ad hoc process of picking a school because Sergio's there or because Ursula's there. And I don't think it's a very uh, informed decision. And I think for them to sort of see the a collection of learning objectives that represents what teachers are valuing in their education of the students in this field will be a whole new level of, of shared knowledge that I'm excited about. And I think mainly empowering the students to say, well, I, I'm really interested in this learning objective, but I'm not so interested in that one. And really allow them to come up with their own sort of understanding of what, what they need to know for a successful practice in public interest design. For our listeners, um, we'll certainly link to that book uh, when it comes out on our website, as well as the Design for the Common Good and the Seed Network and the Design Build Exchange. Well, Ursula and Brian, thank you very much for your time. It's really, it looks really promising, and I really hope all this huge network will actually uh, have its impact sooner rather than later. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and on behalf of, uh, I, I get to be the one to speak, but uh, realizing how many people have been involved in, in these efforts and uh, networks, um, 
on behalf of them, thank you for sharing what we're working on. Thank you both. You're listening to Social Design Insights with Eric Kessel and Emiliano Gandolfi. I'd like to thank Emiliano for rejoining the cast, uh, at least to kick off this uh, initial segment on education. And I'd especially like to thank our guests of the week, Brian Bell and Ursula Hardig of the Design for Common Good Network, both for coming on the show and for the extraordinary work that they're doing to advance the field of social design. You can find links to the Design for Common Good Network and the practices within it on our website at socialdesigninsights.com. You'll also find links to the books and organizations we were just discussing and other goodies to advance your research. Next week, we're going to take things up a notch as we welcome Karen Kuby to the show. Karen is a New York-based urbanist focused on housing and health. She is one of the founders of Architecture for Humanity New York, as well as formerly the executive director of the Institute for Public Architecture. She's currently a visiting associate professor at the Pratt Institute in New York, as well as being a guest editor for AD Magazine. Karen and I share a passion for issues of education within the design world and began to develop this segment last year. We got to talking about the consistencies of pros and cons across all forms of design education and started brainstorming about how we could assemble a series of guests that could help us dive deep into the question of how design education can promote social justice. We'll be joined by deans, students, more than a few idealists, so stay tuned. If you have any feedback on the show, ideas for guests, or just want to chat, you can write to me at eric at socialdesigninsights.com. That's E-R-I-C at socialdesigninsights.com. Social Design Insights is an initiative of the Curry Stone Foundation. If you haven't already, please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Curry Stone Foundation. That's Curry Stone FDN for all the latest news on social impact design. (laughs) 